Hello and welcome to MetPod, the official CPD podcast for Maiden Early Trust staff by Maiden Early Trust staff. In each episode, we are joined by a member of Trust staff to share their area of expertise, interest or research in the hope that it will inspire our listeners to try out something new in their own practice. I'm Chloe Bateman, a history and religion and philosophy teacher at Maiden Early School, and I will be your host this week. Today, we are excited to bring a new MetPod format to you in which two experienced colleagues discuss an important issue, which I am sure will be relevant to staff across all our trust schools. The theme of this episode is the gender gap in attainment between male and female students. Joining me for this mini roundtable discussion are John Nash, Head of Design Technology, Food and Health and Social Care and Associate SLG member at Maiden Early School, and Jacqueline Stanley, Head of Modern Foreign Languages at Maiden Early Reading. So over the past few years, there's been a great deal written about the gender gap between boys and girls attainment. I thought it'd be really useful to start off with a bit of a discussion and outline of what exactly this term means and some of the research that sits behind it. So in terms of what this gender gap is, how, how might we define what it, what it kind of actually is here? Yeah, so people interpret the gender gap differently. And the way I see it is the gender gap among students is largely defined by the difference in attainment at key milestones. So this is all the way from primary school, if you look at SATs results, and then the gaps that emerge from there all the way through to key stage three levels and um, you know GCSE results all the way through to A levels as well. So there, there are different gaps, but I think the gap in attainment is generally the one that people focus on when looking at this issue. Okay, so it's quite a wide um, kind of long-term issue then really going across the whole of like a student's educational career. Um, in terms of like what the reasons are then for why this gap exists, I was, I was wondering if you could kind of maybe give us a bit of an overview and possibly reference any research that's been done on this particular topic as well. Yes, so the the reasons for the gender gap within education from from my point of view actually stem from society itself as opposed to with it whatever happens within the classroom um a, re- a recent-ish article from the financial times um you know suggests a few things for example if you look at the way that girls are seen to mature earlier than boys quite often what happens is girls are given things like books and you know instruments to to use in an academic way a bit earlier than boys are and and also girls are expected to just be more calm and and boys are sort of encouraged to be playful and adventurous and whilst this is this seems you know perfectly normal on the surface what this can actually do and what this article from financial the financial times suggests is that if 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 for example lots of places were and still are on occasion more male friendly are schools actually more girl friendly so you know with the expectations that school have in place regarding things like behavior in classrooms and corridors and and what conduct should look like are we are, are schools actually fighting against society in terms of these the stereotypes that are created about boys behavior um and i found that a really interesting point and maybe one that a lot of people hadn't considered before that that boys actually naturally don't 
the, the behavior expected of boys doesn't naturally work in a school environment. I don't know what, what you think about that, John. Yes, it's interesting you say that because um, I've read quite a lot about that as well, that, that the, the actual setup of the school doesn't tend to lend itself very well to the boys' sort of way of thinking. Um, and I'm doing a, a specific project looking at how that gender gap spreads throughout secondary school. Um, and one thing I've noticed is when the students come in in year seven, they're very uh, sort of enthusiastic and the boys and the girls are generally speaking as enthusiastic as each other. But then as they go through the school, that gap seems to get a little bit wider, um, especially the gap in attainment. And that could be due to a whole wealth of things. But I, I think one of the areas is the boys, um, from my experience especially, haven't been buying into feedback. So the way that we feedback to our students, um, the high quality feedback and the effort we put into feedback that we're giving, boys aren't, aren't really acknowledging that and they don't want to do things with it. So I'm, I'm doing a bit of experimental work at the moment with sort of Google Classroom and the way that we use Google Classroom. And I'm starting to see that actually um, the remote learning might be lending itself a little bit more to some of the boys who were not learning as well in the classroom environment so um obviously no expert on this but it's quite interesting that you brought that up jack yeah and, and i think one more thing as well but um so so you mentioned feedback john and that's really interesting because i think another actual something at the core of this gap is if you look at the the habits in reading between boys and girls i did mention it earlier about girls perhaps being given books earlier than boys but um this the, the article in the in financial in the financial times also suggests that um boys do find it more difficult to engage with reading fiction um and we know that this can create barriers therefore in their their breadth and depth of vocabulary as well which will cause this gap to increase you know go, go certainly going into gcse and, and a level as well so yeah i think feedback and, and reading are two, you know, fundamental, two fundamental things to look at when, when looking at the gender gap. So based, based on what you've said then in, in terms of, um, you know, there's some of the reasons behind why this gap is there in the first place. Um, are there any kind of particular areas of the curriculum in which this gender gap is kind of most um, evident if we look at the curriculum as a whole? Well, I've highlighted a few different areas that are um, made early. Uh, where this gender gap is more obvious but um, I, I haven't really got to the bottom of the reason why but it seems to be um, across sort of nationwide as well that English and science do tend to have some of those um, bigger gender gaps but it seems that boys don't seem to get the higher mark questions and that level of analysis it might be that they can still access those level of questions but they're not giving it their all so I've researched into the different um, sort of use of assessments so far and I've found mainly, um, especially from some scholarly articles, uh, things like the book Boys Don't Try, um, they're actually telling us that it's an overall attitude to boys in school. It's not, it's not one particular thing or one particular subject where boys are struggling. Um, and again, you know, this is, this is very general. There are boys that do incredibly well but we are tending to see a pattern that that the more uh, analysis based subjects are where the boys are really struggling to grasp those higher level marks and it's something i would refer to as coasting because boys are achieving 
they're just not quite achieving as much at that standard. Yeah, I agree, John. And I think the way that you mentioned it being an overall attitude towards these particular boys, like you said, we're not focusing on all boys. We're talking about these particular boys, particularly higher ability boys who are, as you said, coasting. You know, the question was about the curriculum, but for me, I think there's some bigger questions to be asked outside of the curriculum. I mean, you only have to look at the amount of detentions and, um, you know, if there are exclusions, how many of those are actually boys. And that's no, that's not just coincidental that, you know, that's happening all over the country as well. Um, and, you know, this, this discussion is largely based on research, but, and, and I've not actually looked into too much into this myself, but you only have to look at the presentation of books and the way that, you know, the, the care that's taken by and large, you know, again, there are definitely, definitely boys who care about presentation, but generally speaking, I'm just wondering, are, are perhaps our expectations between boys and girls are, are they different are are we letting boys get away with sloppy presentation whereas we might question it earlier if a girl was to do that these are just questions i'm just um you know totally speaking from an anecdotal point of view but i, I thought it was worth mentioning yeah I'm, I'm sure that's something that um other teachers across the the trust can relate to as well and from what you've both said then it, it seems that maybe rather than looking at particular curriculum areas, it, we actually should broaden out to kind of look at the whole school experience of, um, of boys and, and kind of how they're finding school in general. Um, if we kind of move on to thinking about why is this gap a problem then? Because I know that there is, um, you know, some people out there say that, well, this isn't actually a problem. Um, but what, what is the issue and, and why is it a problem in your um, view? Well, I'll start off with what you've said there about, um, you know, some people say it's not a problem. Uh, so in life in general, uh, men do better than women in terms of pay. So some people will say, actually, why is this a problem? If you're eventually going to get a big pay rise anyway, uh, why bother thinking so much about this? But I, I do think it's more to do with equality and providing the same opportunities to everyone. Um, and I think part of that is if we educate boys to a higher level and allow them to succeed and see that academically they can be very uh, skilled um, and that they can achieve the same level as girls, then we might actually start to head towards that, that kind of diverse um, society and the equal society that we, that we strive for. for um, actually showing that we invest in people might eventually have that that kind of payback afterwards um, but it's also interesting to say sort of why, why should we think about this in school well as a school we're a comprehensive school we offer the same opportunity to all of our students so if our boys are not achieving through those opportunities that we're giving then we do have to tailor it and we do have to think about how can we get the same outcomes from everyone um, really providing that kind of equal playing field to everybody um i think if you if you look at it statistically um i completely agree with what john's saying about the the equality that is deserved by everybody in within school because what this can do statistically can can sort of widen these gaps much much further down the line i mean you only have to look at the amount of 
boys who are excluded compared to girls the the um the fact that boys are much less likely to go to university um the, even the prison population makes up is made up of 96 percent male you know um inmates so it's it's huge it, down the line it does have these big consequences and i think that's why everybody should should really care about it and it and it, and it is a problem um it, because it's not all about um it, i mean obviously pay and um you know the, the treatment in wider society are absolutely huge and paramount to an equal society but so, something's going wrong here if those numbers are, are are to be to be looked at carefully yeah definitely and I, I think you know the fact that what both of you have mentioned that this what we do within a school environment has then implications for the wider society which these students are going out into and how important it is to you know make that as level a playing field as possible for everybody um given you know everything we've discussed and, and the ways in which this is something that really does need to be addressed i was wondering if maybe you've tried any practical strategies or you've read about any practical strategies that colleagues could try to employ to attempt to narrow this gap between girls and boys within their own classes? Um, well, this, this isn't anything that's new, to be honest. Um, there's lots of different strategies that people have tried and I've read about all sorts of different things. Um, but the one thing that's new to us at the moment is remote learning. So one, one thing that I'm looking at as a strategy is, is that use of Google Classroom. And I've done a little bit of analysis of, of different Google Classrooms through different subjects and I'm finding that generally speaking our boys are engaging. Um, they may not actually be in, engaging in the remote lessons so they are the less likely to be the ones who are speaking during the lessons, the ones who are typing, but the work they're handing in we're starting to get more and more work from the boys. So I, I think this is also to do with that link with the parents. We've got a good connection with parents through our remote learning and through Google Classroom. So for me, that's a, a real benefit. I have found, though, that girls will hand in work regardless, so they don't need to be chased. Um, but when I looked at a few subjects, there were some pockets of girls who also needed chasing. So, uh, as I say, some of this is very generalised. But... In, in the classes where the feedback was more timely and where students could see that their work was valued, they're handing more of it in. And recently we've been discussing sort of the, you know, the number of assignments we should be marking and how frequently we should mark those. And I, I do think that has quite a big implication on boys. If they're just seeing uh, an environment where they need to hand in so much work um, and being set, in, set so much work to hand in, they will give up. They will stop um, working to their hardest uh, of, of standard, really. And so by targeting exactly what you're wanting from them, giving them the feedback and saying, this is what I'm going to assess. This is how I'm going to assess it. Here's the mark scheme for you to look at. I'm actually finding more of the boys are giving in work, giving in high quality work. And then not only that, but then going back and um, amending that work and, and using improvements to it. Um, originally, that was kind of a sample from my own departments, but I've now reached out across to um, the languages department, the English department. And I'm starting to find patterns there that are quite similar. Um, you know, remote learning is, is certainly doing something. It's very early days, though, obviously. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, actually, and it's kind of bringing it up to date with the, you know, the challenges of remote learning that we're all facing at the moment, but also the 
possibly the potentials of that and maybe getting some ideas of moving forward with that um, as we go back to more sort of normal um, school life. Uh, Jack, I know you had like a kind of different perspective on this, didn't you? I did, but after hearing John speak then, he's convinced me that the situation might not be as clear as I first thought. I think if I was to answer this question without remote learning in mind, I would have a very clear point of view and I would be suggesting that teaching boys and girls differently can be actually quite harmful. Um, if you think back to the points I made about reinforcing stereotypes, um, they shouldn't really be treat they shouldn't be taught any differently and in order to get the best results from boys as well as girls we need to just make sure that you know um all of the staples of a good lesson for example are are in place and i think that's very much how i thought um but hearing what what john had to say about remote learning is fascinating really but i think it is very early to say and i think the fact that um, you know, it is so early. How motivated are these boys going to be, you know, in a couple of weeks time? I'll be very interested to see. Um, so, yeah. Um, but I think just generally speaking, I, I don't think we should be. I don't think there is a strategy that we can give that's going to get boys to do more it has to come from quality first teaching it has to come from calm and safe learning environments it has to come from clear boundaries being put in place and you know things like an appropriate level of challenge within within the lesson structure as well if we're going to get the best out of boys and girls so it's a lot of um a lot to think about there and like sort of there's definitely you know what you've discussed echoes the diverse views about this um you know amongst the wider teaching community i think um Based on that, then, are there any kind of potential pitfalls which you think that colleagues should avoid when they're trying to attempt to narrow the gap between boys and girls? Yeah, I think um, I'm just thinking back to when I trained to teach and attitudes towards boys learning was quite different back then. Um, and it, it was sort of, you know, we have to have competition. You should encourage boys to uh, compete against each other. You should encourage them to play games in the classroom. And I think through lots of trial and error, um, I learned myself that none of that really works. Uh, so, you know, don't fall for those obvious solutions. Um, because if you do, I think what you could end up with is uh, kind of an emphasis of we're going to have what the students would call a fun lesson every single lesson. But actually, they're not very fun for you as the teacher um, there's there's a lot of behavior management that's needed um, in order to run lessons that have got lots of games lots of competitions and they just don't get results so I, I think though that's kind of one of those those pitfalls where people will will stereotype what a boy is and what a boy is interested in but um, I've also recently been learning lots about looked after children and about how looked after children will shy away from competition. So by bringing competition into your lesson for your boys, you actually can also be shunning some other areas in your classroom and some other students in your classroom that you really need to be looking out for. So it, it's one of those challenging things. What, what might seem like an obvious win, it might be a short term win but it's likely to be uh, a long-term loss in terms of those results. Um, I do think that for, the, for some boys, they will only get extra attention in the form of, of detentions. So the praise, 
the contact home to tell um, parents that, that things are going well. Um, contact with tutor, contact with, you know, they might have a teacher who they're particularly close with at school and, and you can say to them, actually, this, this boy's doing really well in my classroom. Little things like that will go down very, very well. Um, you know, just coming back to that idea that boys, with the amount of detentions that boys are getting, they're getting our attention, but they're getting it in completely the wrong way. So we have to flip that to giving them that attention, but in a sort of a positive way. Also, I think we need to avoid trying to teach things that we think boys like. I mean, I think this is becoming more obvious nowadays anyway, but, you know, not all boys like the same thing and something that some things that you may think they like may actually reinforce these these stereotypes. Um, and I think even if you did, you know, somehow find a, a golden nugget that all the boys in your class liked, you know, the danger is, is that students will only remember that lesson a bit like John was talking about, um, you know, the games and the competition. They might only remember that lesson for the for the fun aspect. They might just walk out of that lesson and think, oh, yes, we won. Well, did you learn anything, though? Uh, well, I don't remember what it was about. Actually, I just remember that the blue team won. Um, so I think we do have to be really careful there. And I think also, if, if you do go looking for this thing that, that all boys are interested in as well, you can actually limit the amount of cultural capital these students are exposed to. And this cultural capital can have real damning effects later down the line if they don't, if they're not aware of these things. So you've just got to really keep a broad mind with what, what, what students like. And, um, you know, there's never, a wrong, there's never a wrong thing to, to focus on, but, you know, maybe always going after the the obvious isn't always the best idea. Um, and if I can just add on to what John was talking about, about competition, because I love competition personally, and to see it go would be extremely sad for me. So I think just a few, a few tips about how to make competition work for boys and for girls would be quite useful. I mean, for, for starters, I, don't, I haven't read too much about, about competition itself in great detail, but I think as long as the competition is sort of angled appropriately and not a sort of getting the students at loggerheads against each other, and, and that learning is the absolute primary focus of that competition. I think it works there. Um, and, and I don't know whether this is right, but I think sometimes if you put yourself against all of the students, I don't. I, I feel that creates a bit more of a, uh, I don't know, uh, a different atmosphere than, than students going against each other. I don't know if you'd agree with me on that, but sometimes if you put yourself at the front and then you go against them and you know really tease information out of them and get the learning going that way, that can actually be quite a good thing yeah I've done that with debates before where I've asked um where I've had an opinion and it's not my personal opinion I've just taken the other side to the class and um that can be quite handy you're right there that 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 competitive edge um can be really helpful but but what you're not doing there is you're not um you're not getting that child who doesn't want to compete they're all competing together so they're all sort of working together on that so yeah I'd agree that would be quite a good strategy actually yeah, and you'd hope that the buy-in would be there a bit more than if, you know, they had to go up against a certain member of the class who they didn't want to go up against. I think if it's against you and you've put yourself there, that, 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 that could work. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's an option. It's almost uh, another podcast topic, isn't it? Competition in the classroom, <laughs> one for the future. Um, 
Thank you so much, both of you, for this really insightful and detailed discussion. Um, what I liked about it really is that it's not just based on the academic research, but it's also your own experiences, your observations as teachers interested in this particular issue. Um, you know, I personally, I, I really feel that you've given me sort of um, key takeaways and not just that, but sort of wider ideas and wider challenges to think about that are posed by this attainment gap. So um, I really hope that everyone has enjoyed listening to this episode of MetPod and I do hope that you will join us in a fortnight's time for the next episode. Mm -hmm.